Welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today we welcome back Ash Palmer. But before we get into that, please take a second to subscribe to our podcast. Here's today's message from Ash Palmer. Thanks so much for joining us today. So I don't know if you guys have ever been lost. Um, I was about four. I would say I was four. My parents would probably say I was like closer to 10. Pretty sure it was four. And uh, we were on holiday and we stopped off at a hotel. And my parents asked me to drop something off at my uncle's room a few rooms down. They gave me the hotel room number and I just kind of walked out, knocked on the door, handed it over. They said, thanks. I walked out. They shut the door. And I realized that my parents had not told me their room number. And I had no idea. And this is a circular hotel. So like every room looked the same and went around. And so I uh, try to think in my little four-year-old brain, what would be the best way to solve this mystery? I could go door to door, uh, but I'd heard lots of scary stories about what could happen if I did that. So I decided the best thing to do was just scream and run in circles. Um, And so that's what I did. I just started crying and just ran in circles calling for my parents. By the time my parents finally opened the door, I had like a handful of people following me around as I did laps of this uh, hotel level, waiting to see which parents would grab this kid. Uh, When they finally did, and my parents were super embarrassed, they just ushered me in. And that was my first experience with kind of being lost. Just scream until you're found. My other one, now if you're starting to feel a bit sorry for me, this one will definitely not make you feel sorry for me. My wife and I, just a couple of months after we married, we went on a European holiday and um, we arrived at the small little town and uh, to jump on the train, we had these big bags with us and this little one, like just this railway tracks and one little station room. We went in there, we got our tickets, we walked onto the platform and we realized that we need to be on the other side of the platform. Not speaking Italian, uh, but I'm sitting there looking around and thinking the pragmatic you know, person that I am. Growing, growing up in Africa, if this happened, you just go to the other side. So I said, well, look, I'll be a good husband. I'll hold the bags and carry them across. You go first, wife. So my wife goes, okay. So she jumps down and gets halfway across the tracks before everyone starts yelling, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not meant to be on the tracks. The train's coming. And my, my wife is stuck in no man's land. And I had a moment then. Do I drop the bags? and help her? Or do I do what I did, which is pretend I didn't know who she was? And, uh, and watch that she kind of stuck with you. Finally, she scrambled onto the other side. They're yelling at her, telling her about uh, this passageway. And, uh, and, and finally, I figure out, so I walk backwards with the bags. Lo and behold, there's a tunnel that goes underground. I walk calmly underground. I come outside, I look at my wife going, where are you? She's beat red, sitting in the corner, trying not to make eye contact with all these people who have yelled at her and screamed at her. I don't know if you've ever been lost, whether you're running around screaming or whether you're stuck between two places. But if you ever have been, if you're ever trying to walk with God's Spirit and you cannot figure out what to do, where to go, today's message is for you. Now, calling my bias, this is like my favorite story of all time. And this is a, a message that's kind of been in my heart for a while. One that I really kind of almost half don't want to give because it's so connected to me. I know that once I speak it out, I'm kind of speaking a bit to myself. We've been walking through this series called Here I Am, this journey towards understanding the Spirit of God at work in your life and in my life. And how do we begin to do that? We've had some great messages from Tim and from Ryan, just sharing a bit more about the presence of God active in our lives through the Spirit of God. Today, we're going to talk about what does it look like when you're following and in relation with the Spirit of God, but in the tense moments of life, when you just can't feel God's presence when you're just not sure 
what to do. So I want to read the story out to you. It's in uh, John chapter 9. The reading will be up on your screens. And I'll read part of it, and then we'll kind of journey through it. And uh, this is how the story goes. John chapter 9, it says, As he, this is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. I'm not sure how they knew that. They probably asked him or he was just super famous. And that was the story. So his disciples see this guy and they ask Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So just did pause there. The kind of belief in those days is that if you were disabled, it's a horrific kind of belief system, but if you were disabled, that generally meant that you were going to be such a bad sinner. Like you had sinned in the womb. Just figure that one out, right? You had sinned so bad in the womb or you're going to be such a bad sinner that you were punished with being disabled straight away. Or more likely, your parents had sinned and you are the consequence of their actions. This belief system basically meant that a lot of kids who were born disabled were left, were discarded, were removed because their parents didn't want to live with that reminder of their sin. They didn't want to be socially ostracized because people would go, there's the proof of your sin walking around. So here's this man listening to this conversation. Jesus' response is this, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming and when no one can work, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I know what you're thinking. What the heck does that mean? I'm not entirely sure, but this is what I do know it means. It doesn't mean that Jesus was saying this guy was born blind just so that I could do a cool trick here a couple of years later in his life and go, ta-da. The way that verse kind of shapes out in the original language is this guy is born blind and for God's glory to be done in his life, we must now work. We must do something. We are kind of like we are carrying light into his life, which is a great kind of picture for a guy born blind. Then it says this, and this is where it gets a bit crazy. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Thanks, Jesus. You couldn't find battery acid or something, you know, like the two most unclean. Let me put my germs and some mud into your already unseeing eyes. And then Jesus says to him, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that, yeah, that's definitely the guy. That's him. That's Joe. Others said, no, it just looks like him, doppelganger kind of stuff. But this guy himself said, no, it's me. I am the man which by the way is where the sentence and thinking of I'm the man came from. It's a Bible verse. Uh, How then were your eyes opened? They demanded and he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. And so the people said, well, where is this man? And he said, I don't know. That is one of the most insane stories to me. Here's why I think it's crazy. Because I resonate with this guy right from the beginning. I don't know if you've ever had anything happen in your life and your question deep down in your gut is, why is this happening to me? Why? Why me? So can you imagine being this guy blind, just hearing society and life pass him by and then he hears this group of people stop And someone asked the question on his behalf. Why has this happened to him? Was it 
his sin or his parents' sin that made him blind? I reckon I'd be sitting there thinking, this is the million-dollar question. This is what I spend most of my days thinking about. Why me? Why is this happening to me? And then you hear the answer, neither. And you're thinking, well, that's nice. So for no reason except this moment. That would be the point when I would probably yell, when I'd throw my bowl that I was begging with, when I'd scream at them, tell them to get lost, leave me alone, they smell really bad. It's noisy enough. But this guy sits there. And here's the crazy thing about this story. From this conversation that Jesus has with the disciples, to him walking to the pool of Siloam and washing his face, the guy never once asked to actually be healed. He never actually says to Jesus, oh, I'd like to be healed. He doesn't actually have any part of the conversation. He's just sitting there. And these guys are talking about him. Imagine sitting there having this thing. And people are kind of just shooting the breeze about your pain. And then a guy spits on the ground and rubs mud in your face and tells you to go for a walk. Like, this is fight club stuff, you know? Like, this is where I kind of get down. You're just having a casual conversation about my pain. This question that I live with all my life, why is this happening to me? He never once asks for Jesus to do this. So why does he go? And then mud and spit, I mean... Is there a little side point to this? Here's a, here's a really cool insight that I found. Sometimes God's solutions never look like the answer. You know, that would be like the opposite of what you'd expect. You know, God, you'd expect Jesus to say, listen, I've got some great medicine that hasn't been invented yet. Here it is. But instead, Jesus does something that at first glance looks like it's going to make things worse. Look, man, I couldn't see before, but now I've got mud in my eyes. It's itchy. I can't see and it's annoying. Sometimes God's solution to your problems and mine don't look like the answer at first glance. But that's not the craziest part of the story. He says to the guy, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And so here we have this moment. You're blind. There's mud on your face. You've heard this. This is the beginning of a Queen song. Don't start singing it. All right. And then you hear this voice tell you to go for a walk to the pool of Siloam. At what point would you have stopped walking? At what point would you have gone, this is dumb. What am I doing? What would it have been like to get up, to leave all your stuff behind, to put your hands up against the wall and to begin to wander down the street, bumping into people and saying, sorry, is this the way to the pool of Siloam? And people are trying to answer you and they go, dude, what's on your face? Sorry, is this the way to go? To trip over and land in the dust? That would be my point where I'd say, okay, enough. But he gets up and he keeps going. He wanders the streets, the alleyways. He takes a wrong turn here. He asks for help there. And at some point in time, he gets to the cobbled steps of the pool of Siloam, steps that go down to the pool. Imagine being blind and feeling the edge of the step before you feel a drop off, getting on your hands and knees, waiting for where's the water, pushing through all the people who are there ahead of you. And then finally 
your hand feels the cool water. The long walk to this place. And so you begin to wash your face. And as the mud disappears, light begins to break in. And this guy's world begins to be changed. And he gets up and he walks back and people don't believe him and they ask him what happened. And you and I would begin to try and rationalize it or try and explain the science behind what happened. Well, I think he, you know, I think he fused the optic nerves together. So I think it happened. But this guy's answers are so simple. Like, what happened to you? Uh, listen, I, I was sitting, mud, eyes, walk, wash, see. That's it. That's all I got. That's all I know. Who, who was it? This guy named Jesus. I heard his name. I don't have no idea what he looks like. Well, where is he? Don't know. Simplest test. If you think you've got, you're trying to find a way to get your story into words, you can do, anyone can do better than this guy. Look how simple it is. He just said the facts. And you think that would be the crazy part of the story. But here's where it begins to take a shift and a turn. So the people around him cannot figure out what's going on with this guy. They want to understand how this man who they know has been blind from birth can now see and is walking out of them. I wonder if he's the one going, oh, I like his shirt. That looks really good. Or, you know, and suddenly he's beginning to give advice and, you know, he's beginning to, re- he's, he's part of them. And so they drag him before the religious leaders. The community drags him before, the religious, pushes him to the front and says, tell us what happened to this guy. And so it says they, the Pharisees asked him and said, what happened to you? And he says, well, get this. He goes, here we go. I'll tell you what happened to him. Because see, the concern the Pharisees had is that the healing happened on a Sabbath. And that's apparently not a good thing because not only was Jesus healing, Jesus made mud and you're not meant to need anything on the Sabbath. Sabbath. And then Jesus told the guy to walk to the pool of Siloam. And this guy was a beggar. He would have been on the edge of the city, which meant the walk to the pool of Siloam was longer than the legal limit allowed to walk on the Sabbath. So a lot of, you know, how the miracle happened was the issue, not what happened, which is, how crazy is that? How often do we get hung up on, did the miracle happen the right way in that person's life without paying attention to the fact that it actually happened? So this guy's response when he's put on the stand is this. Well, here's my deep theological answer to what happened. He put mud on my eyes. I washed and now I see. Simple and straightforward. And they say, well, this guy is just lying. He's a sinner. This Jesus guy is just a weirdo. He's definitely a sinner, this Jesus guy. And the other, the community says, oh, how can Jesus be a sinner if he's doing all these miraculous things? So they keep asking him and they keep asking him and he keeps giving the same answer. And they finally say, well, maybe the issue is this guy was never blind from birth. Let's go find his parents. Your parents kicked you out when you were born blind. You lost all sense of belonging and all sense of family and you've been alone on the streets. And now you stand across the room and you watch your mum and dad who disowned you, who left you to be a blind beggar walk in. Now you can see them. Now the issue that kept you out of them, that disconnected you in a relationship, the fact that you're blind is no longer an issue. You can be family again. And they have this moment to declare you their son. And they say, is this your son? Was he born blind? And the parents, knowing that if they answer this question truthfully and completely, they will lose their social standing in the community. So the choice between social standing 
and welcoming their son back. And the parents say he's old enough to answer for himself. That's our kid. He definitely was born blind. But you ask him yourself. We're not going to get involved in this. You're blind. That answer you've been waiting for. Is it my fault or my parents' fault? And now you can see. Now you're looking for belonging and community again. The neighbors recognize what's happened in your life. But here in this moment, his parents leave him to be again. And so they ask him again, what happened? Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. As God is your witness, tell us the truth. And he says, whether this guy is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. How simple, straightforward is that? Then they say to him, well, look, we all think he's a sinner. Some people think he's this. What do you think? You're the one he healed. Who do you think he is? And you know what he says? He says, I think he's a prophet. And I want to jump in as a good Christian because I am a good Christian and say, no, 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 mate. You got it wrong. He's not a prophet. You got the theology wrong. Oh my goodness. How could you get this so wrong? Of course you're not. And I want to explain to him who Jesus actually is because I want to make sure he does it the right way. This guy got the answer wrong. He gives it his best shot. And yet no lightning bolt comes down in that moment. Nothing bad happens to him in that moment. It's almost like God knew his heart. And that was okay. And then in the most Aussie way ever, he starts making fun of the Pharisees. I love this guy. Maybe you're asking me because you want to be his disciples as well. And he starts kind of giving it to him because he's got nothing to lose now, you know. And they get angry at him and they yell at him and they say, you know, we don't even know where he's from. And he says, hey, oh, that's so funny. How can you? You're meant to be the religious leaders. You don't even know where he's from. But I know that he opened my eyes. And so they yell at him and they scream at him and they said, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They social distanced him out of there, out of the community. You're not one of us anymore. So this man on the fringes of society, blind with no idea why, gets healed by Jesus by taking a long walk for no good reason. And then when he finally gets to be reconnected with his parents, he still finds no connection. The community that he's, that he's with kicks him out because of what's happened to him. And then comes the most powerful sentence in the story. But Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when Jesus found him. This is a story of two men going for a walk. A blind man walking to a pool and a savior walking the streets to find him. Jesus hears the pain this guy goes through. And he walks the streets. Jesus looking through each passageway, turning corners, asking questions. Have you seen the guy about this eye? Was blind, kind of mud stains around his face. He's that way, he's there. Jesus finds him. Can you imagine that moment when this guy bumps into Jesus and eyes meet each other. But this guy has no idea who Jesus is. But then Jesus opens his mouth and he says, do you believe in the son of man? And there's this immense moment where the guy recognizes the voice. 
He recognizes the voice. He knows this voice. And so he, I would say, uh, explain to me what you did. You're that guy, aren't you? you want, I want answers. But instead, this guy recognized the voice and he says, who is he, sir? I recognize your voice. So tell me so that I may believe in him. Because whatever's coming out of your mouth next, I'm on board. Because I know what you did to me. I know who you are. You just tell me and I will follow him. I am so on board and I love this moment. I, I, I envision, I mean, I, this is one of the moments where I get to heaven. I want to play back the, the, the replay tapes to this moment. I imagine the pause as Jesus lets these words just roll out. The beautiful picture. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man doesn't say, tell me more. Can you draw that in a diagram for me? Can you explain that? But what about my parents? The guy simply says this, Lord, I believe. And then he worshipped him. And then the Pharisees get annoyed and they say to him, wait, hang on, are you telling us that you're, we're blind? Because Jesus does this whole kind of, you know, sometimes he does these really confusing sentences that you have to read five times over to make sense of it. He says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who, will, who see will become blind. The Pharisees get all offended. Are you saying we're blind? Jesus says, yeah, kind of are. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. So the sheep might not recognize the shepherd, but as soon as the shepherd starts speaking, the sheep recognize the voice and they follow the shepherd wherever the shepherd tells them to go. Just like the blind guy. He heard the voice. I don't know if you've ever felt like you relate to this kind of story. Maybe you're the guy. Maybe you're at the beginning of the story and you're sitting there and you're walking through whatever season you're walking through in life. Things are challenging. You have something on your mind, something in your life. Maybe it's what's happened with work or health or family or whatever it is. And you are asking the same question he would have had in his mind. Why is this happening to me? Maybe you resonate with that part. Maybe you resonate with the part where you're on trial and you have... No real clue what God has done, but you know God is doing something. And you're trying to make sense of it. All you can do is just say, I know God is real. I just know God is real. I just know that He did something. I know that He's real. I can't explain how. I can't explain why. I don't know, I don't know why I have this certainty, but deep within me, I know that God did something great. But I reckon more than the moment when the water would have splashed on his face, I reckon he would have remembered that. Right? I, remember, I think he would have remembered seeing light for the first time. But I reckon what is stuck in that guy's mind was that feeling when he walked the streets. Those moments when I probably would have stopped walking. When maybe you feel like it's time to stop walking. See, we often look for peace. And peace for us happens when we have answers to the questions. When we're walking and we're going, look, I need the Spirit of God to give me signposts. And when I find the signposts and I have the answer, then I'll know. Tell me where I'm going to get healing. Then give me the answer and I'll find peace. And peace does come with answers. Will I have a job again? Will I be healed? Will I be able to forgive? When you have those answers, you'll probably find peace, definitely. 
But this guy was different. Why would a guy walk when he hasn't even asked for the miracle? Why would he keep walking? Why would he wash his face? Why would he stand through a trial? Why would he listen to the voice of Jesus? Because this guy didn't just have peace, but he was peaceful. Because the one thing he holds true is that he's a man who could surrender. See, you find peace and answers, but peacefulness, the state of living at peace, of being calm deep within your core, peacefulness comes from surrender. So when the king asks you to take a walk, you're okay with that, even if it doesn't make sense. When he tells you to wash your face, you'll do that. When he puts mud on your face, you'll, because there's a peacefulness in surrender that says, I have nothing to lose if it's in the hands of God. Healing comes along the walk. See, there's nothing magical about the pool of Salem. You know, it's there today. You can go and find it. You know, they're not selling bottles of it for $100 a milliliter. There's nothing magical about the pool of Salem. The destination itself isn't the healing point. The healing is the journey to. The destination just proves you walked the path. And for some of you, you are walking that path today. But maybe like me, you're walking that grumbling, dragging your feet, waiting for the moment the answer happens. You're only walking to get to the destination, but God is wanting to, walk, want to be with you on the walk itself. And all you and I need to do is surrender, which is so difficult. But if you and I can surrender on the walk, we begin to be people who are connected with the Spirit of God. And the beautiful part is that Jesus is out on the walk with you. He's walking the streets looking for you, alongside you, connecting with you. I'm going to invite the band to get in place as we keep just focusing our mind and attention on this thought. So maybe as you're um, listening to this, you are trying to figure out what it's like to walk with God through the tension, through the trial, through the challenge, through the frustration, through the hurt. And I would love to say to you that we can take a page out of this guy's book by just surrendering the walk to the Spirit of God. For me, that's meant waking up every day and reminding myself that I'm surrendering to God. But the thing that makes a big difference is that you actually have to get up and put one foot in front of another. And with each step that you take, you find freedom and healing. And it'll be hard. You'll probably stumble. You'll probably question why you're doing this. But God's Spirit wants to walk that path with you. We're about to sing a song that calls us to surrender. That actually puts us right on our knees before God. And as we do this, I want to invite you to openly surrender that walk that you're on to God today. Maybe it's a walk of healing, physical, emotional. Maybe it's about your job. Maybe it's about your worries and concerns for your family in this season. Whatever it is that you want to bring before God and surrender. Maybe it's your pride or security or something really great, like the fact that maybe you don't think you need God that much because life is that good. But you know that's not the right thing. You know that God is calling you to take a walk with Him. I want you to take that from your thought and put it out there. Maybe make a note on a phone 
and say, today I'm surrendering this or write down or maybe write it in the pages of John chapter 9 in your Bible. This act of saying, God, I surrender all that I am to you. As we sing this song, can I invite you to do all that you can? There's a great moment when we sing, I surrender, and then we prepare to sing about the Spirit of God taking power in your story and mine, which is this idea that if we can surrender, God moves with freedom, and then with freedom comes movement with power and purpose in your story. God, would you hear us now? Would you help us to have the courage of this guy who gets up and who walks the streets looking for that place in obedience, who operated from a place of peacefulness, who could stand before a court and defend himself by simply saying just what he knows, who recognizes the voice of the Savior. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com. And if you want any information about Riverview Church, you can find that at riverviewchurch.com.